This episode is brought to you by Elite Havens. If you're into winter sports, this one's for you. And there's discounts to be had for deep dive listeners. Elite Havens has a spectacular hand-picked portfolio of more than 300 luxury accommodations in Indonesia, Thailand, India, the Maldives, and most importantly, Niseko in Japan. Niseko is one of the world's top ski resorts, offering powder snow, slopes to suit all abilities, dreamy views, and gourmet food. What's not to love? And this ski season, you can stay in one of Elite Haven's premium chalets, each with snowy mountain views, daily housekeeping, chic interiors, fully equipped kitchens, dining options, and a complimentary shuttle bus within the village or to the nearby slopes. Right now, as a listener of this podcast, you can take advantage of Elite Haven's early bird discount rate on all their Niseko properties. Enjoy 15% of all bookings confirmed from now until 30th November 2020 for stays between 14th December and 31st of March 2021. And for deep dive listeners, enjoy an additional 5% off your next booking when you book right now. Just mention the promo code JAPANTIMES to your reservation specialist. Terms and conditions apply. Find your Niseko chalet now at www.elitehavens.com. That's Elite havens.com a link is in the episode notes hello and welcome to deep dive from the japan times i'm oscar boyd this week we discuss the process of translating japanese literature into english a somewhat forgotten art but one that's brought to the world the books of writers such as yukio mishima haruki murakami and more recently a slew of new japanese writers particularly younger women such as hiromi kawakami and miyako kawakami Joining me today is Ginny Tapley Takamori, who is probably best known for her 2018 translation of Convenience Store Woman, the best-selling novel by Sayaka Murata, which won the prestigious Akutagawa Prize when it was first published in Japanese in 2016. The English translation was a roaring success, and the two have collaborated again to translate Murata's 11th novel called Earthlings, which was published earlier this month. In this episode, we'll be talking about Convenience Store Woman and Earthlings, and also be hearing from Ginny about her art of translating, and why she believes we should all be reading more novels from other cultures. Ginny, welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. It's my pleasure. So I recently read Convenience Store Woman for the first time, and despite hearing so many good things about it, I didn't expect to enjoy it so much. And I actually immediately sent a copy to my dad, who wolfed it down in one sitting on a Monday afternoon. So I want to talk about that book later in the show and the process of translating it. But perhaps we could start with a slightly broader question and, and look at the current status of Japanese literature in translation, because it does seem to be going through a bit of a boom period, especially with a lot of new young Japanese female writers being translated into English right now? Okay, well, I think it's probably useful to note that it's not only Japanese books that are being published more and more in translation. There are more books being published in translation than there were even just a few years ago. And I think that is largely due to a lot of activism and advocacy by translators. In the UK, you have the Translators Association that have been very active in putting on events. In the US, you have Alta. So there, have been, there has been a lot of work behind the scenes. And in terms of the number of women writers getting translated, again, that's got a lot to do with translators noticing, not just from Japanese in all languages, a disparity between the number of books by men that make it into translation and the number of books by women. In Japan, I, I actually, um, with two of my colleagues, Lucy North and Alison Markin-Powell, we started up Collective, Translators Collective, where we support each other, and we called it rather provocatively Strong Women, Soft Power, 
which is our <laughs> focus <name>. is to <laughs> thank you. And the focus is to um, bring attention to Japanese women authors. This is our attention, and also to women translators as well. So, when you're talking to publishers about books that you'd like to see translated, how are you selling that idea to them? What is the argument as to why they should publish a book in translation as opposed to a book that was natively published in English? Mm-hmm. Well, if you only publish、um, books by native English authors, you're only getting to see a part of the world that you already know. I mean, that's the beauty of books in translation. You can you get So much、um, input from new stimuli from other places and different modes of thinking, different places, different settings. It's much more variety. It's important to to have that breadth, if you like. Yeah, I mentioned that I sent a copy of Convenience Store Woman to my dad, and his review of it was that it was <laughs> fun, short, and just fantastically Japanese. <laughs> But I do think that is one of the joys of a book like Convenience Store Woman, especially now when you can't. Really, leave your home so easily, or travel to other、mm. countries so easily that it has this fantastic ability to transport you to other places and and、yeah. other cultures. And something like、yeah. the convenience store is so emblematic of Japan, especially when it's written by someone like Sayaka Murata, who spent eighteen years of her life working in a convenience store on and off. So, do you think there's a fantastic power of books like this to transport you to other places? Yes, I think that's very true.、And、it's amazing, really, how well that book did、um, or has done everywhere. It's, I've been really blown away by how many people have actually come up to me saying, "I've read that book and it was amazing." <laughs> you know, people who would not normally like read books in translation, to be honest. I mean, even my cousin told me that she thought it was fabulous, and she saw it in her local Sainsbury's down in Wiltshire. You know, I mean, it's. <laughs> Which really surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a British supermarket for those of you who haven't had the joy of experiencing、mm. a Sainsbury's. That's really funny, though. I can't really imagine it being found on the、mm. shelves of a <laughs> supermarket in Wiltshire. So you were surprised by how well that did. Yeah. What What was it? Do you think about the book that translated so well and and really appealed to people overseas? Yeah. That. It's really hard for me to answer, but I think it it really does tap into something that is、um, very understandable for many people. I mean, as you say, it focuses on a sort of store environment, which is very unique to Japan. But everybody, you know, goes to supermarkets or whatever. So maybe it's something that is not beyond the realm of imagination. Plus, her level of detail in describing it is extraordinary. And I think a lot of people can identify with the pressure on, you know, that society places on each of us as individuals as well. And maybe there's a little bit of empathy there. <laughs> But again, it is a pretty short book. It's easy to read, and it's and it is quite funny as well. It has some really funny moments in it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of、uh, rather grotesque humour, but anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice pity lines running all the way through it. Yeah,、uh, it's no, it's a fantastic book, and if if you haven't read it, dear listener, then I I really do recommend it. I want to talk a bit now about the、mm. art. Of translation, and I was saying to you before we started recording that I'd never really considered the, you know, the actual process behind turning a Japanese 
novel into its English version and not really considered the length of time that goes into making it. So, so, so how do you get started with the translation process? Who contacts who? Is it a publisher coming to you? Uh, is the translator coming to the publisher saying, I think this would work well in English? Or are you as the translator really driving the, the process of translation and saying to a publisher that this should be translated? It can be all of those. Every every book is different, actually. You do get publishers who've already or are in the process of purchasing the rights to the book and they come to you with the proposal to translate it. Other times you're the one who wants to do a book and you find out about the rights and then try and find a publisher for it. With Convenience Store Woman, for example, it was an agent who decided he wanted to try to sell this book, contacted me, and we went together to see the Japanese publisher, Bungai Shunju. So they got me, they paid me actually to do a sample translation that they could then use to sell rights all over the world as well, as well as to English. And it's actually sold to about 30 countries. It's incredible. Mm, So for other markets, are they working off your English translation? Not necessarily. I just... I just had a publisher, I think, from Iran the other day approach me saying they want to translate from my translation. But I think all of the other ones are going from the original Japanese, which is obviously the ideal. I I much prefer them to do that. But sometimes you don't have, um, in some some countries, there aren't enough translators, maybe. So how closely do you end up working with an author like Sayaka Murata? Is it quite hands-off or is it very involved with her? I, I really, I work quite closely with her I mean we know each other quite well by now but the way uh, she doesn't um, speak so much English although she's studying hard because she wants to communicate with people now but the way I do it is that I do my translation and I get it as good as I can get it but then I we sit down together and I go through and I Mm. ask her questions that I haven't been able to solve I explain what I've done and ask her if she thinks that's right and so what would be an example of that I mean, with Earthlings, part of the novel takes place in a house in the mountains, in a village in the mountains. And this house is quite important. And I asked her to draw me a floor plan of, of the house. It is, it's actually a house that she knows, that she's visited. It's her, her grandmother's house, in fact. And not only did she do that, but she also had some video footage on her phone so she could show me actually the real house and actually took me for a tour through the house <laughs> that she had recorded on her phone, um, which was really amazing actually to be able to, because it wasn't quite how I had imagined it and that was, that was quite surprising to me. So I, it was really helpful. I do want to focus on something you just said there, which was the way that you'd mm. imagined it. Because when you do read a book, you start to paint your own picture of what characters and places and scenes all look like which is why I think it's often so horrifying when you go and watch a film of a a book for the Mm -hmm. first time and they've portrayed all these people that you've imagined in a certain way in a in a completely different way and you go oh what (laughs) have they done to these people and places that I I thought of it completely differently it absolutely destroys your own um vision of the book I know I really hate that (laughs) (laughs) so considering there is a real interpretive and subjective Mm. element to reading any book and Mm. what the characters look like and the places might change completely depending on the imagination of the reader. As a translator, how do you get to the point where you're confident in what you've translated that it completely portrays what the writer actually intended? Well, it is necessarily subjective. 
you get two translators translating the same material, you're going to get two different translations. There's that's no there's no way around that. But you also have the words on the page. So you do have a framework, you do have a structure, you do have limitations of where your imagination can take you. And that's basically what you're working with. On the other hand, you're also working with what's behind those words, cultural associations, for example, that Japanese readers will get. But if you, you maybe need to bring those out a little bit for English readers, otherwise they won't understand. I mean, to give a very simple example of that would be a kotatsu, you know, the table with the heater underneath. You can describe the object, but for Japanese people, you know, you've got like a whole cultural range of feelings behind that of like coziness, you know, maybe sitting around the kotatsu with your granny eating mikan oranges. And, you know, it's kind of almost a symbol of family harmony. Is there a temptation ever to replace an object that has certain cultural significance in Japanese with something that might have the same cultural significance in English but be a different uh, object for example with the katatsu which might portray comfort and warmth would you ever consider replacing it with something like a fireplace in English which might portray the same things or is that you know considered Mm. translator sacrilege I don't know if it would be sacrilege but I'm not sure I would want to go that far because, you know, this novel is taking place in Japan, mm-hmm. where you don't necessarily have fireplaces. Well, sometimes you do, but it's not so common. You know, what, I, I want to bring out what the author's written as much as I can. I can't say that there would never be a situation where I might change something. Like, for example, in Earthlings, names in Earthlings. You have some nicknames in there, but mm. one character is called, like, Cro-Magnon. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a girl, so it's very insulting. Um, <laughs> but then, is that uh, referencing early uh, ancestors of humans? Like, that sort yeah, of thing? that sort of thing. But Cro-Magnon is maybe not the word that we would think of initially in in English. So we ended up deciding to go in Miss Neanderthal, which is maybe more immediately understandable with with Sayaka's approval. I mean, I'm I'm lucky because with her, I have a good working relationship and I can ask her all of these things. If you don't have access to the author, if it's a living author, then it's a little bit more problematic if you're going to make changes, maybe. Mm, I guess for the author, they're putting a huge amount of trust in your hands to publish something that accurately represents them and their work in a foreign language that they might not necessarily read. So do you spend a lot of time really working on that? relationship with the author and cultivating it to make sure you're portraying them accurately if i have the opportunity then yes i do so like with with as i said with sayaka we do have a good relationship another writer i have very good relationship is kyoko nakajima and when in her case she does speak good english so i actually always send her the my translation to read herself I wouldn't do that with all authors, but she's very reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she understands what translation is as well. So, um, but, you know, that's very helpful because, you know, there are times when she's picked up on something that's not quite right. But she's also been so happy when I've done that. And she's saying, okay, I'm really relieved because you've totally got it. <laughs> and you caught the sense of humour here. I'm really happy you did that. 
Mm, I guess humor in particular is something that's so hard to get right in translation from <laughs> one language to the other when the, the yeah. sense of humor might not be the same at all between the languages. One thing I want to ask is, in, in the final translation, what do you think the balance is between the original storyteller and the voice of the translator? Should they be considered separate works or is it just a retelling of the original? Yeah, I'm not sure that it's a contradiction to say that it's both. I mean, it is a retelling, but it is also a new, a new work because it is coming from your understanding of the original, if you like, your interpretation of the original. I mean, sometimes more so than other. I mean, I don't know if you know about David Karashima's new book, like who we're reading when we're reading Murakami, mm. where he talks about a lot of the early Murakami books collaborating with Alfred Birnbaum and El Malouk, the editor, where they made a lot of changes and cut out a lot of things. And so I think in, I think they went a lot further than I personally would be happy to go. So in that case, it became much more of an original work in its own right because of the editorial decisions that had been made in the translation, translation process. To some extent, I think that's true, yeah. And do you think that a book in translation can ever be as good as the original? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point is try to make it as good, you know, like for people to, to enjoy <laughs> or to get a good... I don't know about always enjoy, but at least get a meaningful reading experience at least, yeah. One big editorial decision that was made in the translation of Convenience Store Woman, though, was in the title of the book, because if you look at the Japanese title, it's Konbini Ningen, which would literally translate to Convenience Store Human, whereas in the English version, it's Convenience Store Woman, not Convenience Store Human. So how did that decision get made why why was the word woman added to the title instead of human well that was the publisher's choice the publisher wanted that title um i did try to sort of argue against it because i thought the whole kind of the whole point was that she was divesting herself of womanhood so um i felt that it was a little bit almost wrong to do that but on the other hand um, I do appreciate that it's a very catchy title. It's a super catchy title, and titles are really, really important, I think. The bottom line is that you want people to read this book. You know, I don't criticise their decision to go ahead with that title, even though I wasn't really in favour of it. I, I think they made a good call on it, probably. You know, I mean, I, I think you also had like all the Me Too movement, so... Just the fact that woman was in there attracted people's attention from that point of view as well, maybe. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't considered it from that. It, it is because a lot of Sayaka Murata stuff, right, does go into um, the realm of, or it does explore womanhood and particularly womanhood in, in the context of asexuality, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of her characters are, as you said, mm. divesting themselves of womanhood in a, in a way. Is that something that's kind of unique of Sayaka Murata in your, in your, experience or is that you know bec because we have seen the rise of phenomenon such as hikikomori in japan and you know people who isolate themselves and and you there is this kind of narrative of people growing up and no longer having 
sex and no longer having children and stuff like that is is that is that a widespread motif in japanese literature at the moment um i don't know about widespread but i think it's definitely there i think what is possibly unique about sayaka murata is the way she um she's not only exploring women's sexuality she's and a, through a, being asexual as well um she's also exploring other ways for um she's trying to separate childbirth from womanhood if you like from the female sexual experience so she's exploring other ways that possibly children can be made babies can be made basically uh, because that pressure is always on women to have children and marriage in Japan is very much about having children <laughs> you know it's traditionally you know like the marriage contract is basically you're starting up a new family a new line and and having children there is enormous pressure on people to do that and she's trying to examine that and try to see other ways that society could possibly be and do you think that part of Sayaka Murata's widespread appeal is that she's mm. tapping into this frustration felt by many women against the existing societal contract in Japan and and, and the reason that she's also so popular overseas is that um, you know those feelings that sentiment of frustration isn't unique to Japan at all it's felt by many mm. women around the world yeah i think that's probably true um i think there is an increasing sense of that especially in Japan in the Japan context especially now where you don't have the job security that you once had so actually setting up a family is really hard for young people now because they don't earn enough money they don't have the job security that their parents generation did for example so a lot more young people in Japan are opting not to have children or not to get married and i think that's possibly the case elsewhere as well that security of can you actually afford to bring up a child <laughs> but i think it is something that people that is a kind of universal universality that people can tap into certainly I've just finished reading Earthlings, which I think is one of the weirdest things I've ever read. What? What just happened? I wasn't expecting that. Wow. I want to move a little bit onto uh, the upcoming book, which is Earthlings, Sakamata's oh, um, 11th novel, which is coming out in October. Um, a lot of people, I think Grant put out a video on their Twitter, so Grant is the publisher, put out a video on their Twitter of people reacting to the ending and just going... Oh, it's very weird. <laughs> so, so I, I, I kind of want to use that to focus on the idea of you know, how do you translate something that's that's so extremely abstract that you know that that might not work in a language outside of its original? Yeah, I must say that when I first read Earthlings in Japanese, I got to the last four pages and I was wondering how on earth is she going to end this? You know, it's like. There's only four pages left, and I ha I have no idea where it's going. And then I read those final four pages, and I think I just felt my brain explode. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so I totally, you know, I really enjoyed that granted promotional video because it was like, yeah, I <laughs> exactly, that's what it is. 
<laughs> and it was actually, it was quite hard translating those final four pages, I must say. Up until then, it had been kind of vaguely within the realm of reality all the way through. I mean, maybe going into sort of weird areas and things, but you can understand, it's kind of understandable, but then you get to the, you know, the very end and it goes off into a very abstract ending. Without spoiling the end or any of the big plot twists in the book, what is the general narrative arc of Earthlings? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the general narrative of the book is that you've got Natsuki, who's the main character, who the first part of the book is told through Natsuki's voice as a child and she's about 11 or 12 years old. She has um, a very difficult time at home, so she develops her own coping mechanisms for that, and her, her best friend is basically her, a stuffed toy, and she thinks that she, she has magical powers, that this stuffed toy comes from another planet and has given her magical powers, and this is, how, this is her coping mechanism. At the same time, she has an affinity with her cousin who's about the same age as her who also has a very difficult time at home and he thinks that he's from another planet they kind of find solace in each other the second part of the book is when they're all adults and that's he's now in an asexual marriage but her husband is also finding it you know finds it very difficult to cope with society pressures and in the end they sort of you know I, I really don't want to give away too much, yeah, but yeah, please they, are, they are trying to find a way to get away from society's pressures. And in the ending, I suppose you can argue, yes, they succeeded, although it was <laughs> the, way they, the way they do it is, yeah, it is quite bizarre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good tease for the book. <laughs> I guess one of the last questions I want to ask is, what do you yourself get out of translating and why translate rather than write a novel yourself? Um, you might be doing that. I, I just don't know. These um, are two very, very different things. Um, I often get asked, why don't you write your own work? As if it's somehow better to write your own work. I'm not convinced that it is better to write your own work. I really love the process of translation. I love the process of diving deep into a book, really absorbing what's going on, doing very, very close reading, careful reading of it, and then the process of reconstructing that in another language. Um, for me, that's an endlessly satisfying, um, meaningful thing for me to do. It, that feeling of satisfaction is amazing. <laughs> when, you, when you know, okay, that's the right translation. <laughs> <laughs> And during that process, do you find yourself doing additional research um, for convenience store women, for example? Did you make yourself very well known down at your local convenience store following around all the <laughs> store workers as they restocked shelves and stuff like that? Or, or did most of it come from Sayaka Murata's original text? I mean, everybody who lives in Japan knows what a convenience store is like. So I think for me, I didn't really need to do much of that because I do it I go into convenience stores from time to time anyway. But Sayaka's work is so, the descriptions are so detailed and so spot on. Yeah, I think basically it's all there in the text in this case. Yeah. But again, you have, I had to bring that out a little bit for readers who've ne maybe never been to a Japanese convenience store. 
um, to try to sort of make it more evocative for them. And if you haven't yet been to a convenience store, you really must. (laughs) Ginny, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks very much for that. That was really fun. That was Ginny Tapley Takamori. My thanks to her and Earthlings. Her new book with Sayaka Murata is out now. For the latest reviews of new and classic Japanese books, visit the Japan Times book section. Links, as always, are in the episode notes. That's it for this week's deep dive. Thanks to all of you who've recently reviewed the show. All feedback is greatly appreciated. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter by following me at OMH Boyd or following the deep dive account at Japan Deep Dive. Until next time. Potsgari Summer.